Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, I don't think Malachi is going in the second round. I think he'll probably sneak into the first round. And the reason I say that is because he is the most Fred Van Fleet player in this entire draft. Mm. I mean, kind of similar, yeah. similar size, uh, dynamite shooter. I saw him in Las Vegas over the break uh, working out with Tyrese Halliburton, Josh Green. Uh, who else is there? RJ Perry, Devon Dotson, and Ashton Hagens. And he like his another another player with high basketball IQ. Like his read off the pick and roll when they were doing three on three drills was insane. And another guy that just is like a solid, solid player character wise and has a solid jumper. Opulent Inventory, our proud partners here on the show. Now you can finally have the Apple product times the Apple guys. That's right, from AirPods to iPhones to MacBooks to Apple Watches to trade-ins and much more. Now you can have the Apple product of your dreams. Promo code podcast gets you 20% off. That's right, 20% off on any Apple item. Visit Opulent Inventory, Nash and Guardi. Those are great guys on all social media platforms and on Instagram. Now, let's head back to the show. We are back here inside Studio Z, inside of our recording studios at WNSC Radio. We'll be tuning to you guys, the Sebi Podcast Radio Show, streaming in 15 different platforms worldwide. Takes 10 seconds here for station identification here. And we're back here, Mike. That is episode 15, season three of our great show, Myself. No longer DMV, Mike. It is Tri-State. Michael Gray, he's out there in the cold. How are you experiencing it for the first time, Mike? Oh, it's terrible up here, so I want to go back home. <laughs> but no, nah, nah, it's, uh, it's, it's different, man. It's definitely something to, to adjust to, something you have to adapt to and get used to because uh, I guess it's not going nowhere. It's not like I wasn't warned. I was prepared. People told me, I've heard plenty of stories about cold against Tri-State area around this time of year, and uh, I was I wasn't so I wasn't surprised when it, when it hit you. But um, yeah, it's definitely coach season. It's definitely cold up here, and um, it's uh, it's definitely something to get used to. Yeah, you're no longer in the DC area anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no longer, man. Yeah, it's uh, you know around this time we still get a little heat every once in a while. It's still it's still kind of kind of mild outside, but up up here, I mean, when when it, when they when they change seasons, it they they go all out. They they're already there, so it's. it's it's, it's 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 different. Well, you still got some time, you know. It's still considered fall. You got the leaves changing, the you know what I'm saying. So, it's still yeah. autumn at this point. But you're right. But I ain't gonna lie. Quickly, it's gonna turn turn the tide. Fall out, fall out here is almost like winter. That's how cold it is out here. If this if this is fall, then man, winter's gonna be crazy. <laughs> 
Oh, man, all our prayers with you, brother. And speaking <laughs> of prayers, uh, this is where we start off our uh, date today. Um, we start off with the NBA free agency. We need to pray for some of these teams that are losing big, big key names. Um, we'll start off with some of the teams that's made big headlines and arguably the biggest one, the Phoenix Suns luring Chris Paul for um, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, multiple sources say that the uh, Thunder will be receiving Ricky Rubio, veteran Ricky Rubio, Ty Jerome. They also add Kelly Oubre, who's a nice pick on that as well. The Warriors did want him, but now he's headed to Oklahoma City. And also multiple first-round picks. I think it's two of them for the rights of Chris Paul, who's headed to Desert, to pair up with young DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, and what Monty Williams wants to establish down there in Phoenix. Your thoughts on this, Mike? Yeah, Phoenix is going to be a, um, an, uh, they're going to capitalize and they're going to uh, carry that momentum they had in the bubble going under into this next season. And this is one of the reasons why, because, you know, acquiring somebody like a Chris Paul, you know, this, this brings great veteran leadership to this team. When you have a young team like this that had, that doesn't have a true foundation, a, a true veteran leader, um, sometimes you'll, you'll see inconsistencies. You'll see, uh, uh, you won't you won't see the same uh, product on a consistent basis every single night. But with somebody like Chris Paul, who's able to hone in the emotions of the young guys, who's able to galvanize the truth the way he is, we know what type of leader he is. We know what he brings to the table on the floor. But from a, a mental perspective and a, a psychological perspective, on the sideline, coaching these young guys up, being like an, an extension of Monty Williams on the court, this is going to help uh, translate translate this team. And then also, also what it did, Sebi, let's just be honest. I mean, acquiring Chris Paul and bringing him in was another reason to, to lure and um, keep Devin Booker happy in, in Phoenix. They yep. wanted, they wanted to make sure that he stayed in Phoenix because it was rumors that he kept, that he wanted out. He wanted out of Phoenix, and then that same night we hear that they're looking to, looking to bring Chris Paul in because um that's uh we you saw that you saw how much of an asset he can be in Oklahoma City and what he brought to the table when he came from Houston and how he immediately turned that team from a what everybody thought was a rebuild team into a, a potential a playoff team that could have potentially went to the second round. Now you come you come to Phoenix with a team that's got got some ta- got some nice talent on that team. He is even more talented than Oklahoma City, but they were just missing that veteran piece, and Chris Paul can be that veteran piece to help. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say make them a championship contender because they're still very young, but they're going to be much more competitive than they've been in the last uh, few years in, in recent memory for, in Phoenix, and. They're more than likely going to be a, a perennial playoff team, uh, assuming that he stays there for a few years. Yep, essentially there, Chris Paul. He brings that added leadership. And what he does, Mike, is he's another coach on the court for uh, for Monty Williams. I love what Chris Paul did last year because he betted on him. This 15-year veteran, he heard the naysayers say that, you know what, I didn't have it um, last year. So he goes to Oklahoma City, uh, defines in, in all odds, and makes sure that, Shea Gilgis Alexander blossoms. You know, Dennis Schroeder becomes sixth man of the year. So <laughs> I like this because Chris Paul won't deviate the growth and maturity of DeAndre Ayton. Yep. He'll continue to let uh, Devin Booker be the man in Phoenix. He won't, you know, kind of hurt their stock on that. And so that, that because of his playing style. So I love this for Phoenix. Um, speaking of moves that GMs and teams made to ensure that their stars stayed. Can we talk about what the Bucks? Yes, sir. Um, Waki Bucks, you know, Mike, it, it was late last night, Eastern time, but um, I think it was about uh, 12 a.m. Uh, Pacific, and I was gone, and 
getting alerts. And next thing you know, we knew about how Drew Holiday uh, was switching and they just had an overall U-Haul, Mike, of, of their roster. Right, you let DJ Wilson go, who wasn't really a guy that got a lot of minutes, but you also let a guy like Wesley Matthews go. Right, some of these other pieces that they had um, in their rotation, um, Ilya Sova and all of them gone for the rights of Drew Holiday in the pick, and so I think automatically he's going to come in. Uh, George Hill was um, in that package as well. Um, he's going to come in as a starter, I believe. Um, to go on the rotation with Giannis and Chris Middleton. And, of course, they also let their stud young guy, Dante DiVincenzo, you had to flip them, you get them for bogey. Uh, Boban Bogdanovich out of Sacramento reports where him and Buddy Hield were on their way out. And all of a sudden, the Bucks banked on it. They promised new guys for Giannis. They said that, you know, in order for us to keep, we believe we're still a contender. And we, in order for them to keep him away from free agency or even any trade talks, they ensured that they did an overall U-Haul, Mike, on their roster, bringing in Drew Holiday and Bogdanovich, who's a knockdown shooter. Absolutely, and uh, you, you're absolutely right. They, this is what they. This is a step in the right direction. The Milwaukee Bucks are not all the way where they want to be as far as luring Giannis uh, completely, but they they're showing that they that they made strides and that they want to make this work, that they want to do what, to do what it takes in order to keep him in, in Milwaukee because, let's just be honest, Sebi, he doesn't want to leave Milwaukee. He doesn't want to have to leave Milwaukee. He wants to – he's the type of guy that, that, that rubs – he rubs me off the vibe that he wants to stay in Milwaukee his right. entire career. But he will not stay in Milwaukee with that current, the current, construct, current constructive roster and, and they don't bring any legitimate help for him to, to win a championship because that's what he's going to be judged with, judged by the remainder of his career because he's that lethal. But – um. This is a step in the right direction. Acquiring somebody like Drew Holiday, who is a great uh, perimeter defender, a very solid on-ball on defender, and um, and offensively what he can bring to you, um, especially in the playoffs, is special. We all remember how good he looked with Anthony Davis a, a few years ago when Anthony Davis was in New Orleans. And they, they swept the Portland Trailblazers. And, and Drew Holiday was one of those guys that was putting up a couple 40-point games along with Anthony Davis. This brother can still score the basketball when given the opportunities and when healthy. That's been one of the key problems with his career is his health and, um, you know, him staying, him staying on the court. But when he's on the court, I mean, this brother's an assassin. He's one of the most more underrated, underappreciated players in the game. And uh, what he does on both sides of the floor, he's going to bring a, be a huge asset to this team. Yes, they, they lost some key pieces in Milwaukee, but at the same time, when you gain pieces like him and a Bogdanovich, who's a knockdown three three point shooter, uh, not the best perimeter defender, but but he but when 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 he chooses to, he can definitely play some defense. And uh, I'm sure he'll fit right into that Milwaukee system. He'll fit right into what they do, and uh, that's just another threat for when Giannis drives to the paint and he draws multiple defenders. He can knock it out. He can uh, dish it out to um, to Bogdanovich. But also, what it does is, you know, it lets Giannis just does his thing, and Drew Holiday can play true point guard. Yep. She can play true point guard for this team. He can really make things happen. So I like the pickup. I like what Milwaukee's doing. They're making strides to try to uh, make keep Giannis happy, and um, they're, they're not where they want to be yet. They're making, they're, making, they're, they're making progress, and that's all you can ask for right now. Yep, I agree, Mike, and, and you basically uh, flip uh, Bledsoe for Drew Holiday. That he comes right in more of not only a, a facilitator, but also a guard that in late crucial games, they can get the ball away from Middleton or – uh, uh, Giannis and put the ball in his hands and maybe run some pick and roll with Giannis or maybe uh, go ISO 
because that was their problem. You know what I'm saying? Giannis, the thing with him, Mike, has always been the first 46 minutes of the game dominant. But in the last two, when teams get to game plan and they get to scheme things to get the ball out of their hands or say, hey, we'll put the ball in your hands, are you that guy? Can you make a 18 to 20 foot jump shot? Can you hit a knockdown three at the buzzer to send the team? He's not that guy. And so they actually have a guy now in crucial moments that could put the ball in. And also, Nanis goes down the lane and, and collapses and demands all that attention. Bogdanovich can be a knockdown shooter. He shoots around the upper 40% from three point range. So I think that this is a great move for Milwaukee. And, and we'll see what else they do in free agency. That's, that's, um, some other things to come to um, other key players. We hear that uh, James Harden, he wants out. Um, he's made it public in front of everybody and, and talk about what the Bucks have done. The Rockets have had a complete overhaul from not only their players, but also from management as well. Uh, Daryl Marley gone. He's in Philadelphia now. Russell Westbrook, there's rumors that he may be gone. Uh, James Harden is unhappy. We We've heard that. Uh, Robert Covington all of a sudden has been flipped uh, um, to the Blazers now. So the Blazers get um, another 3 and D wing guy. So Beautiful, beautiful pickup. So uh, now the Rockets, they look like they're in disarray, right? So James Harden to the Nets. There's It's only one ball, Mike, but um, reports are they may trade for him for pretty much the other parts of the unit outside of Kyrie and KD. But other rumors say that this Kyrie may be part of this uh, trade package. So ideally, how do we get uh, James Harden in Brooklyn and how does the fit work? Uh, I, I don't see Kyrie being part of the trade package. I think the the combination of all three of them is what they actually want. But th- I, I'm, I'm up in the air about this, about this, um, this, this potential, potential trade, because on one hand, I do feel like James Harden, at this point of where he is at in his career, where Kevin Durant is at in his career, and where Kyrie is at is in his, right now in his career, they've been in the league for such a long time. They've all been in the league for at least 10 years. This is the perfect time for them to work because the, mentally they're sharper than where they were when they were younger. James Harden and Kevin Durant are, are more um, um, mentally uh, equipped to handle a situation like this than they were in OKC. Back about eight eight years ago, and they they definitely could. I could see a, a spot where you know the, the, all three of them sacrifice, you know, a bit of their game in order for the entire team and for the entire culmination to work. But at the same time, this is why I don't like the move because I'm envisioning everything that we, you already have Kyrie and Kevin Durant there. I'm already envisioning what you can do with the Karis LeVert, what you could potentially do with the Spencer Dinwiddie, what, what, what you could do with a Jared Allen. All of these are guys that you would have to give up in order to get James Harden. Agreed. You know, you, you, you're literally sacrificing the depth that you have when Kyrie and KD get on the bench, the very legitimate elite depth that you have uh, from these guys. Because Karis LeVert is a straight-up bucket. Spencer Dinwiddie is one of the more underrated point guards in the game that can facilitate and score the basketball. And we know how lethal Jared Allen is in the post. I mean, he's an alley-oop away you know, from making a highlight on anybody. And he's a great rim protector on the defensive side. So I, even though I like the fact that the potential of Harden, Durant, and Kyrie all on the same team together at this point of their careers, I feel like this is the best chance that they could work at the same time. I don't like the assets that you would have to give up in order to get Harden because at the end of the day, those guys have to go on the bench. And your bench is going to be hampered 
because you gave all the pieces away for that starter, for that for that for that starter in James. So I don't I, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, I would rather have a Sergi Baca with the Nets. I would rather them go after somebody like that because to add that defensive so, so, so a defensive prowess and a, a mid range knockdown shooter to that team, but also brings great defense. But bring James Harden in and lose all those assets. I'm a, I'm I'm, a, I'm torn on that one. I'm not I'm not too sure that's the best move to make, Sabi. Yeah, yeah, I agree too. I mean, you have to think about it like this, Mike. If the Rockets wanted four first round draft picks for uh, uh, Jimmy Butler, can you imagine what they're gonna ask for James Harden? Oh I mean, God. come on, like the, you're you're gonna give up Dinwiddie and Lavert. You're probably yep. gonna have to give up uh, Joe Harris, who's in a contract year, knockdown yep. shooter. Then your depth, like you mentioned, the Jared Allens, the the Chris Chioza, right? Yeah. The Chris Chioza, yeah. when when Kyrie got hurt, he 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 had a lot of bright spots last year. So they want some young pieces like that, and then multiple picks. So, um, there's there's it's it's three against five. You know, you, you won't have. <laughs> I mean, you still need a roster to you win know? in this NBA. Obviously, the Lakers have Anthony Davis and LeBron James, but Rondo, guys like KCP. Guys like that have stepped up. Caruso. So you need added depth, especially in the playoffs, um, to go up against the likes of Giannis and, and some of these other marquee teams in the Eastern Conference. So that is on the bright side. But, hey, if the Nets were to pull this off, man, I mean, look, man, like, especially with what I'm hearing from Steve Nash, they want to bring back that seventh yes. from their yes. old Phoenix. How would you stop that? I mean, my goodness. Um, So... <laughs> It, it, it would be it would be like showtime in Brooklyn. But um, for the rights that you made, Mike, I, I, I do agree that I don't think it's smart. Um, I know, you know, Harden at this point of his career, he wants to win. He wants to be back with his old buddy and and, and Kevin Durant, excuse me, um, from their days in Oklahoma City. And I saw stuff last year from James Harden, Mike, that but that made me believe that. He doesn't really care about his stats and stuff. He knows he's going to go down as one of the league's uh, greatest scorers ever. But I saw strides last year. I saw him playing defense, um, tops in, in drawing charges last year, tops in steals. So I saw him starting to buy in and looking at other aspects of his game and actually showing that effort. And so I think now in his career, he does want to relish um, maybe, you know, a second fiddle to a championship team at this point, or, or maybe being able to step back and be like, wow, I can actually see like, damn, like number 35 or number seven in Brooklyn is actually better than me. Like I, I can actually take a step back and be like, Hey, you do your thing. So um, it, it's, it remains to be seen, but I, I think it's unlikely. Yeah. I think it's unlikely as well. And, and you, and, and like you said, James Harden individually has done, incredible work in this league and you saw how 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 accomplished he is individually with the awards and mvps and scoring and scoring and things of that nature but at the same time like you said he's 32 years old and he's not getting any younger and at a certain point in your careers you want to legitimately compete for a championship and when you know that you know the the, the style of play that he was playing in where he had the ball in his hand 90 percent of the time and was making the decisions with the last five seconds of the shot clock he understood that that wasn't winning basketball, and that was that wasn't conducive for him. So what he would do in Brooklyn is, is he would he would be in a system because he can play off ball. He can be he can be he can create off ball. He can he can he can move without the basketball. He can get it get himself open, and he can can, can uh, play in a real system. And I think that's that's the point in his career where he's at right now, where he wants to play in a real system. Agreed, agreed. There, um, of course, Mike D'Antoni and Steve Nash would definitely 
be able to um, complement that. That'd be interesting how they would fit all those three guys there. Um, if that were to happen, and look, I, I, you know, I'm a Celtics fan, but I'll be all for it. I'd like to see that. That that'd be must watch TV to see those three guys sure. be able um, to do that. Um, uh, quickly before we switch gears here, Mike, some other big names: Victor Oladipo. We've that's still um, maybe up in the air. Buddy Healed. Um, what are the Sixers gonna do? Are they gonna flip Simmons and Embiid? Do they play another? year together or one of them flips away for some trade assets uh al horford his contract what, what did they do um maybe miles turner out of indiana there's a lot of things that still need to be um situated in free agency mike um what are some teams and even some players in particular that you're looking for i'm definitely looking forward to this um uh, before this upcoming draft tomorrow about um some of the, the trade moves that are going to be made for that number one pick or or some moves that are going to be made for uh for um uh, from mid level to mid first round teams trying to sneak up into that top 10 because uh like you said I'm I'm glad you brought up Philly because Philly has a couple of contracts they need to get out of in order to really right. uh, uh reshape that team you brought up you brought up Al Horford you know what what are you going to do with Tobias Harris or um are you going to keep him and you know, potentially, are, are you going to keep Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, or are you going to break them up and one of them is going to have to go? So it's, it's a lot of different uh, options with the Philadelphia 76ers. I'm really intrigued on what they're going to do, um, what their front office is going to do, and the moves that they're going to make because um, they have some contracts they need to get out of for sure. But, yes, yeah, uh, Philly is one of the biggest um, teams I'm looking at, and also Minnesota for that number one pick. What, which team is going to lure them into potentially getting out of that number one pick and what – what is going to be enticing enough for um for them for them to not go number one for them to uh to, to trade that pick away? And for me, Mike, it's the it's exactly where you're at. It's New York. It's the Knicks, right? The Knicks. They even if you're a Knicks fan, they're salty. They're about a bag of chips away, but they won't tell you it. They're looking down the street, and it's just a train. Uh, right away from Brooklyn, and they're looking what Brooklyn is doing. They're stockpiling assets, and they're stockpiling superstars. But deep down, they, they feel some type of way. They, they're saying to themselves, we are the mecca of basketball. We are the garden, and we can't get not one person to come here to New York. And there's been a lot of names that's linked to them. Devin Booker, I've, that's pretty much out the door. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, I think that's not going to happen. Verbally, he said he's going to sign that contract with Utah once free agency signs. Uh, that extension, excuse me. Fred Van Vliet has been linked to them. Brandon Ingram, uh, or do you flip uh, DSJ and, uh, you know, Randall um, and uh, maybe some of these other pieces to climb to Minnesota and get that top pick and get LaMelo Ball as a face? So the Knicks, to me, are the most interesting team because – uh, they've got a lot of guys to them. Anthony Davis, that's not going to happen. But you always hear these big names for the Knicks, and yet they can't deliver. So to me, Mike, they're the ones that probably not contender um, any stretch in imagination, but it's New York, and it's the big market, and it's the Mecca, and they're always trying to find a face. So I'm intrigued to see what the Knicks do. Yeah, yeah. Every, every year the Knicks are always in line because of the name, because of the brand, because of that Knicks mystique that – you know, there's always going to be a, a situation where they're in line to get some top free agents. And like, I'm glad you brought it up because <laughs> they go across the water and they see the competition and they're looking at all the stars wanting to go there. They're like, okay, well, what's going on here? We need to we need to rev, rev up our, um, our engine over here and figure out why some of the stars are not trying to trying trying to come this way. And 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 most 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 people in around the league know the answer to that question. It's just um, 
You know, they, they have some things they have to work on themselves, but the Knicks are making strides. The Knicks are making big-time strides into becoming um, a, a very good team. And, you know, last year I feel like they were a better team than people gave them credit for. And, you know, you, you, start, to, you, start, to, you start to see the, the progressions year by year. So it's interesting to see what's going to happen in New York. Let me make a suggestion, Nick fans. Let me make a suggestion. I like Leon Rose, and I like the acquisition of Tibbs as your head coach. Dolan! Sell the team. <laughs> Sell the team. All right. That's 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 my recommendation. It is that is my suggestion. Take it or leave it. But that is what the Knicks need to do. If you do want to get back to the days of you know 73, which may be a long time since you won a title. <laughs> You need to sell the team, Dolan. Sell the team. That's what they got to do. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that up here since I've been up here in March. <laughs> oh man, that's 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 what all the Knickerbocker fans are hoping as well. But when we come back, a very interesting, enticing, very intriguing guest, uh, probably one of the best ones yet. Um, we won't say the name yet, but. This in particular individual will go ahead and break down the 2020 W uh, 2020 NBA draft. Excuse me, uh, here with us, joining us next, the Sebi Podcast Radio Show, live inside the WNC Radio. We are back here on the Sebi Podcast Radio Show. We've got a very, very special guest with us from Rivals.com and Yahoo Sports. Yes, KP is with us. Not Kristaps Porzingis, but Kristen Peak is with us today. It's a pleasure to have you on. Hey, thanks for having me. I am so happy that this week is here. It's been 146 days in the making, and finally the draft is Wednesday, so I'm happy to to join you guys and talk some and the NBA draft and basketball. Yes, yes, we are indeed. We're actually both good friends with Chris Haynes as well. So, um, Kristen, I was thrilled to be able to obviously um, link up with you through Chris. So um, you actually didn't know that at first, but um, yes, I'm very good friends with Kristen. So are you as Yeah, well. we're coworkers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, obviously. So with the emphasis in high school sports and collegiate sports. A lot of these uh, uh, draft prospects, you probably know them very well. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, this upcoming draft. And a lot of people saying that, you know, outside of the top five or the top three, it's pretty much uh, downfall as in terms of like elite prospects. What are your thoughts on that? It is. And I even think the guys at the top, when we're looking at LaMelo, LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, and um, and James Wiseman, I mean, we don't even know what they're going to be. So there is a lot of depth in terms of role players and, you know, guys that can have solid NBA careers. But no, that we're, this, is, this is the weird year in between two superstar draft years. You know, there's no John Morant, there's no Zion Williamson. And then if we're looking ahead to next year, there's no Kate Cunningham and there's no Jalen Green. So <laughs> it'll it, it'll be an interesting year looking down the road for sure. 
Indeed so, indeed so. Um, some of these guys you've kind of worked with in the past um, in high school, whether that be um, in All-American games or just like Team USA and stuff like that. Talk to us about uh, the relationship that you've built with some of these guys. Yeah, I mean, I was just going through some old footage just before we, we jumped on this podcast and I found the very first game that I ever shot of Lamelo Ball and Onyeko Okongwu. The two of them were teammates at Chino Hills and the game specifically, they were freshmen, you know, Lonzo was a senior and already at such a young age, you know, we saw, of course, Lamelo chucking deep threes and making them, and he looks so little, he, he's got this little baby face. And then with Big O, I mean, that that's Onyeka's uh, nickname. He was already blocking shots. They were freshmen playing up in varsity and he's already got the timing down in the lane. He had, you know, three or four blocks in that game. Um, so it's been fun to look back at some of the footage, but yeah, I mean, I've known most of these guys, um, if they were top 100, top 150 players in the country, I've known them since they were freshmen, sophomores in high school. So draft night is kind of like graduation for me. I, I get really excited and um, just to see how hard they've worked from that young age to now realizing their dreams. It's um, it's something special that I like to be a part of. And, you know, it's, it's, it's fun for me. I'm like a big older sister cheering them on. That's crazy you bring that up. It's kind of like graduation. You start shedding tears. You see graduate. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. The Sevy Podcast Radio Show. Mike, go ahead. Yeah, Kristen, talk to me about LaMelo Ball because, you know, we, we know how lethal of an of a offensive scorer he can be, and we've seen uh, footage of that in recent memory. But a lot of scouts have, have talked that over the past year or so that he's really, you know, turned into a true point guard, and he almost resembles Lonzo's game. Um, is that what you see? Do you see him? as that high offensive threat or uh, being a true point guard, being a real facilitator? No, he is. And honestly, I think he's better than Lonzo was at this stage of the game entering the NBA draft. If we look back at Lonzo when he was at UCLA, he didn't read the pick and roll. He didn't read the defense off the pick and roll as well as LaMelo does. Like LaMelo, I went over to Australia this past year and saw two of his games and he just has that down. Like he can read the defense so well in the pick and roll. And that's something that a lot of NBA teams are looking for in a floor general and a point guard. They want someone to be able to facilitate for their team, but also make that read and, you know, knock down the open jumper. So he needs to get better on his shooting consistency. But yeah, six, seven, only 19 years old. There's only upside if you're taking LaMelo. Got you. Outside of, outside of the top five prospects that, you know, everybody's talked about for this upcoming draft, what's the one uh, player that you see has the most upside? Tyrese Halliburton, I think, is the most intriguing player in this draft class. I mean, mm. like, he's 6'6". Right now, um, he was a buck 60 coming in <laughs> to Iowa State, but he put on 25 pounds over the two years he was there. So now he's at 185. I think he's got a six foot ten wingspan, and he was one of the best passers in college basketball. And you know, I did a story on him and my editor, I said, I was like, hey, I want to do a feature on Tyrese Halliburton. He goes, who? And I'm like, exactly. He played at Iowa State. Iowa State didn't win a lot of games. He, you know, hurt his wrist towards the end of the season. So not a lot of people know a lot about his game, but he's got high basketball IQ, um, is a great passer in the open court and is super long. So he can defend the one through the three. Mm. Yes, okay. agreed, agreed there. I saw a lot of tape on on. Tyrese Halliburton I mean he wasn't really the best scorer I mean best as in terms of perimeter shooter per se um a lot of mm -hmm. stuff in the paint but I thought his defensive intangibles where in today's game you have to be able to uh switch on guards in today's game you have a lot of versatility you have to be able to guard one through four and stuff Tyrese brings that element 
And I think that on a, any type of team, he could be an added benefit to that. So that's an intriguing. Would you say the same? No, 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 100%. I mean, there's a lot of guys in the, inside the top 10. I think people don't really know a lot about them. And it's going to take a little bit of time in, going into the season for them to be like, who, who is this coming off the bench? Who is, you know, and then they're going to have to do their homework. I think Devin Vassell out of Florida State is another player like that. I think he's the best 3 and D guard in this entire draft. Um, a better perimeter shooter, but also just, you know, super long wingspan, 6'10 wingspan. And again, somebody that not a lot of people are talking about. So I'm excited. I think both of them will be taken within the top 10. Devin Vassell and how I think they're they're both going to be top 10 picks. Yes, Devin Vassell. Yes, talk to me about him because he's a guy that um, I think has some resemblance to Jimmy Butler, an elite defender. Um, we know Florida State's, they get all of these guys that can just defend. Um, it's crazy how uh, um, Coach Hamilton gets these guys um, playing defense. But I think he's an immediate impact player that can just come in at the pro level and make a make an immediate impact on that end of the floor uh talk to me about Devin yeah I mean he's with his length he's almost he's perfect or very close to perfect in terms of switching off screens on the wing I watched a lot of film on him and he's just he's so elite at that you know and with his athleticism and speed and also his length that's just a qual that's one quality on defense that you really want in a a two guard or two three guard as him and then in terms of like his outside shot, he's very consistent. And, you know, I would, I would put him more as like a Danny Green in terms of the long, long guard that can knock down the three when open, you know. So I think – and he said to me, Devin said, he, he's like, during this off time I realized, you know, how hard I'm working and everything. Why can't I be rookie of the year? You know what right. I mean? So he's kind of got that dog mentality that coming in like, okay, say I go top 10 or maybe 11 to the San Antonio Spurs. Why can't I be? rookie of the year so I love his attitude I love his game and I think it's going to translate what I, I think it's going to translate well to the NBA agreed and, and it, it's those guys you have to look out for like those guys that are like late round lottery picks or maybe late gems that have that chip on their shoulders that exactly Tyler yeah. Hero is 13 we all saw what he did in the bubble yes mm. we did we did, we did. go ahead Mike yeah, he put on a show. But talk to me about you. You talked about perimeter defenders. Uh, how about Trey Jones? Because as a perimeter defender, I love, I love what, what he brings to the table. I know offensively he, he'll work on his game and his shot uh, as as his career goes on. But as a perimeter defender, he's one. He's he's got to be one of the top in this draft, right? I mean, I think if anything, he's the best on ball defender. I I think his perimeter defense. I mean, come, kind of stems from his speed and athleticism and being on ball and a little bit longer. And Coach K, he even said when Zion was with him uh, his freshman year, they both came in as freshmen, a lot of Zion's easy buckets came from Trey and the pressure he was putting on the backcourt, you know, with his defense. And so if a team is looking for kind of that reliable off-the-bench point guard that can also come in and defend, Trey's your guy. You know, the problem is is that there's (laughs) – it feels like – 50 point guards in this draft class. So will he be taken in the first round? I'm not sure if it is, it's going to be late first round, but I definitely see him going, you know, early to mid second round. Definitely. What what about the, what about the bigs, about the, the five, the fives in this, uh, in this upcoming draft outside of, you know, we have James Wiseman who, who looks as dominant as, as anybody else. And you have, um, you know, precious, we have precious. 
right? Yeah, flashes. Like, what, what, how, how dominant are some of these bigs that are coming out of this draft this year? What's interesting about the bigs coming out, I mean, of course, we got James Wiseman. I think the Warriors have to take him at two. You're looking at who, who on the Warriors is going to defend, uh, you know, Anthony Davis and, and uh, Jokic from Denver. So you need a big body to be able to defend these other post players that are in the, you know, elite Western Conference. So uh, outside him, Onyeko Kongwu is another name. He's, you know, getting some t- top five buzz. Maybe he'll go to the Cavs at number five. He's 6'9", but as a 7'2 wingspan, had 67 blocks for USC this past year, averaged 2.7 blocks per game. So he is the best shot blocker in this draft class. And then, of course, you got Isaac Okuru. He's more of a wing, but another dominant defender. And then further down into the draft, we're seeing more uh, more bigs like Isaiah Stewart and Vernon Carey Jr., who are like old school bigs, you know, like true fives, back to the basket game. And what's interesting about Vern is he always had weight issues. In high school, every time he had an injury, he put on bad weight. And he posted a photo two weeks ago that he dropped 30 pounds and he looks like a monster. Like he looks like a beast. When I say he dropped 30 pounds, it was like a good 30. You know what I mean? So he looks ready to he's NBA body league ready for sure. Awesome. I think Anthony Edwards to me um, is, is a future all-star, but that that's just my pronunciation. A guy, the guy I think is the most polished scorer in the draft, arguably the best scorer in the draft. He can score in all three levels um, comparisons to D Wade. And I think that he's another guy that can make an immediate impact in uh, the draft. What do you think about him? Yeah. What's interesting about Ant-Man, that's his nickname is uh, <laughs> before he even picked up a basketball, he was one of the best up and coming wide receivers in the Atlanta area. So he already has that natural athleticism. He, again, is another player that's just built really well. I think he's 6'5", 230. So he's ready to go head-to-head with some of the bigger guards in the NBA already for his rookie season. And in terms of, like, his shooting, yes, he could have been more consistent at Georgia, but it takes a lot, a long time. It takes a lot longer for guys from the high school to the college level to figure out the pace and the speed of the college game, I think, than it does from the college to the pro level. And I've had a scout say to me when we were talking about Anthony's inconsistencies with his three-point shot, and he basically said, he's like, it's a non-issue. If, if he's a worker, that shot's going to fall. The mechanics are there. He's got, a high, he's got one of the highest releases on his three-point jump shot than anybody else in the lottery. And you're right. The comparisons to Dwayne Wade, Donovan Mitchell, and Victor Lundipo are there for a reason because he showed glimpses of that dominant guard during his one year at Georgia. Agreed, agreed. And and he put on a show in the SEC, for sure. Mike and I are wondering about this, Kristen, and maybe you have an answer for us or may not, but Obi Toppin, all he did this year was just win National Player of the Year. Um, he was just dominant, and he reminded me of one of those, like, dominant freshman years, like Trey Young, like uh, uh, Carmelo Anthony, like he had that type of impact. But why is he sliding? Um, it seems that he's been sliding out of um, the top five, and now – words that he may even slide out of that top 10 what's the reason for that no way he's sliding out of the top 10 there's just that's that's crazy <laughs> that that would be crazy to me and I think the only has it there's two hesitations with Obi one is that he's older you know he's 22 years old already and when we've looked at teams that have taken 
the older experienced player like when the Sacramento Kings took Buddy Heald, a three, four year player, instead of going with Jamal Murray, uh, who was the younger up and coming high ceiling player. And how has that panned out? Like Jamal totally went crazy in the bubble. And so there's teams that have hesitancy in picking older players, but with Ovi, it's, he has showed consistent improvement at each year and each level. And I think he's going to continue to do that into his NBA career. I mean, this is a guy who not only was the best dunker in all of college basketball. I mean, he had eight dunks in one game and three of like the best dunks that I saw all year in one game. Not only that, but he shot 50, 50% from the field and like, no, 55% for the field and 50% from three and you're six, nine and you're a stretch four. Like, I don't know how you pass up on that. Yeah, you can't. You can't. <laughs> Especially if you're like the Hawks or Detroit at six and seven. You know what I mean? You got to you got to at least take a look at Obi and what he's going to bring to your organization if you're in that range. Agreed. Agreed. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree. I agree with you about Obi because I saw him. I saw him personally against VCU, and, and he's he he wowed me. He he wowed me. He knocked all all of my 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 decision makings out. But um, talk to me about. Uh, you you speak about you know players not um, teams excuse me not looking really for the older guys and the guys that are run at twenty two range and stuff like that. Do, was you, do you feel like that will affect somebody like a Miles Powell from Seton Hall? I do, and again going back to the fact that there's so many point guards, so many lead guards in this draft. When you're looking at what's best for your organization in terms of the future. Like, sure, Miles Powell in the second round, late second round is a good deal. You can sign him to a two-way and see how he does, and he can bring solid minutes in if there's injuries on the team. But if you're picking between Miles Powell or Trey Jones or even Devon Dotson, I think they're going to – I think teams are really going to skew towards the younger players. Interesting. Another guy for me, too, that's a little bit older. Talk to me about Marcus Howard out of Marquette. Um, this guy has unlimited, unlimited range. I mean, his his shooting range is just ridiculous. And he put on a show at Marquette. Um, now he's projected to be a late first rounder, maybe early second. Um, what's some and in something that. So I only caught half that question, but it, you want to know whether what's the upside and what's the what's the floor for Marcus Howard? Correct. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I think in terms of upside, I mean, like you said, he can, he's a scoring machine. He is very confident in that and he can find a way to get a shot off anywhere on the court. Like he showcased that at Marquette. He was the leading scorer in the nation at one point in points per game. Um, so he definitely took this year and, and wanted to show NBA teams that this is who he can be. And what's going to hurt him is his size. I mean, when you look at the NBA game and they're looking for the taller, longer point guards, lead guards in this modern day NBA game, teams are going to overlook a player like Marcus Howard um, in that regards. But there's no denying him and Cassius Winston, even Peyton Pritchard um, should get fair looks in the second round. I don't think a team is going to take them in the first. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Um, Giannis went 13. Tyler Hero went 13. Um, Draymond Green went 35. Rudy Gobert went 27. 
who's this the one guy that you think that is probably going to be a mid to late first rounder that not a lot of people are getting talked about but maybe three four five years can be a multi-year all-star kind of like those guys i'm named you know what i will tell you the biggest question mark of this draft is jade mcdaniels out of washington i mean he hasn't fallen outside the first round but this is a guy who passes every nba eye test he's six nine 200 pounds he's got a seven one wingspan super long kind of is built like kevin durant but the problem is he just didn't produce at Washington. I mean, he only averaged, I think, 13 points per game and close to six rebounds. And I don't think he did enough to put him into that lottery range because there's so many question marks. But if he hits and he goes to the right program and blossoms into the player that we've all seen at the high school level just glimpses of, he will be an all-star. And if he's picked in the 20s, I exactly what you just said, like three, four years down the road, we're all going to be like, how did he fall? How, how, did, how did so many teams pass up on this kid? Sometimes things like that just happen. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, um, I want to talk about some of the overseas uh, prospects that are coming into the draft. You have guys like Killian Hayes and uh, Denvi. I, I can't pronounce his last name. It's Avia, yeah. Yeah, yeah, from Israel. <laughs> It's so many overseas players. What's what's one that stands out to you? And um, uh, that that that's a, that's a real sleeper. That's a real sleeper. I mean, if we're talking about that, there's this uh, there's this player. His name's Teo Malden. Um, mm. spelled T H E O. It's not Theo. It's Teo. I I learned that when I called him Theo. So it's Teo. Oh. And <laughs> he's just one of those guys where you know I went to watch him and Denny work out in Atlanta when they were over here, and he probably hit I think 15 threes in a row just a super quiet, hardworking kid who has a dime of a jump shot. So if there's a team that's looking for a pure score, similar to what Seth Curry brings, not Steph Curry, Seth Curry brings to the Mavericks. I think Teo can be that player and not a lot, not a player that a lot of people know about. Interesting. It's a, it's a player, it's a player from Villanova that I really enjoy watching covering Georgetown games, especially when they play named Sadiq Bey. Yep. Uh, his 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 upside is very tremendous, and I see him at the small forward position really helping um really helping teams out, and I can see him potentially being a uh, a mid first a mid first rounder. Where do you, where do you see Sadiq Bey, and what is his upside moving forward? I mean, I will say this: in a draft of a lot of uncertainty, and the fact that teams only got to see, you know, up to he, they only got to make ten uh in-person visits and they could see one prospect twice so potentially they could only see if they wanted to see someone two times they could only see five players and in a draft year with so much uncertainty you look like a, you look at a guy like Sadiq Bey who's you know 6'9 215 220 and is another great 3 and D guard um shot the ball extremely well like you said at Villanova and when you look at Villanova players in the NBA they're, they're all the same. They're all reliable players who stay out of trouble, who are good character, high character, high character guys and produce solid minutes. So when you're looking at what, like what a lot of question marks in this draft, I think, you know, someone like Sacramento could sneak in and take him at 12 or somewhere in that late lottery, a team could take a chance on him. That's interesting. That's interesting. Question for you, because of the success of Kristaps Porzingis and um, most importantly, Luka Doncic, do you think that teams now are going to want to look 
at some of these international players and probably select them higher because of the success that these two guys have had. If you want to date back to uh, Nowitzki back in 98 or maybe Giannano Ginobili, but because of the international game and how it's um, developed throughout the years, do you think that teams are um, quicker now to pull the trigger on some of these top guys? I think so. And I asked Denny a similar question when I sat down with him and, you know, I said, looking at Luca's how, how well he's done the last two years, does that give you confidence knowing that the Euro game is translating well to the NBA? And he said to me, he said, well, Luca is one of a kind first and foremost, like, let's get that straight. You know, what yeah. he's doing is incredible, but he's just blazing the trail for the rest of us and showing NBA fans and front office people and scouts that, NBA is a global game and, you know, we, we don't have to go to an American college to be a high draft pick. You know, we're showing that our development here in the Euro league or Israeli league can benefit and translate to the NBA. And for someone like Luca, I mean, he could be a top five draft pick and he's going to be the highest player ever to come out of the entire country of Israel. So with that, I mean, I said to him, I was like, do you feel pressure at all? And he said, what pressure I'm having fun. I'm playing basketball. And so when I look at someone like Denny, it's like, because Luca is blazing that trail and you guys watch Luca play, like it's not serious to him. He's having the, a blast yeah. playing basketball, you know? And yeah. so I think it's, it's kind of calming the nerves for these other international players coming up. And that's scary for Luca. The guy, the kid plays wiser beyond his years. It's incredible. Um, just at age 20. Um, some of these second round guys, talk to me about them. Uh, Grant Riller out of, I thought it was Ryler, but they corrected me quick. It's Riller out of Charleston. Um, he's a guy that put up a lot of points um, in a small conference. So uh, talk to me about him and some of these other second rounders. Yeah, I know. Well, Grant's another guy, you know, he played four years and so, and in a small conference like Charleston, um, but another, another guard, you know, where, like I said, that's the theme. There's a ton of guards coming out, but he was so consistent for Charleston. And with these teams having that extended time to go back and really deep dive into the film, they start to take second looks at Grant. That's what they're seeing. It's the same as Sadiq Bay. It's like, they know exactly what they're getting in him. And yes, he's a little bit older, but he averaged 22 points and four assists per game and shot 50% from the field. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So you kind of know exactly what you're getting in him and he's going to be a steal, I think in the second round, either late first round or early second round. Agreed. Another guy to me that, that comes to mind is Malachi Flynn from San Diego state. Mm -hmm. um, the guy was in contention to be national player of the year uh, for a great oh, yeah. year for the Aztecs um, and Caleb Weston as well. Uh, do you think both, both of those guys could be steals in the second round? Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, I don't think Malachi is going in the second round. I think he'll probably sneak into the first round. And the reason I say that is because he is the most Fred Van Fleet player in this entire draft. Mm. I mean, kind of similar, yeah. similar size, uh, dynamite shooter. I saw him in Las Vegas over the break uh, working out with Tyrese Halliburton, Josh Green. Uh, who else is there? RJ Perry, Devon Dotson and Ashton Hagens and he like his another another player with high basketball IQ, like his read off the pick and roll when they were doing three on three drills was insane. And another guy that just is like a solid, solid player character wise and has a solid jumper. Interesting. And then who were the other ones that you asked about? Uh, Caleb Wesson. Caleb Wesson. Yeah. Ohio State. Yeah. I know. He's another one that's kind of been flying up the draft boards, especially after 
he was the best three-point shooter out yeah of, i saw that he out of like everyone over 40 percent <laughs> or something yeah man yeah, so when you see a guy like that and how much he's improved from the college season to now, I mean, that just shows these NBA teams just what a hard worker he is. And it definitely causes them pause. And he he deserves a second look. And he's a, he's someone that I, I think will also be a steal in the second round for any team that's looking at him for sure. Interesting. Go ahead, Mike. I'm, hey, Kristen, I'm looking at two steals from the center position. I'm looking at Jalen Smith from Maryland. Oh, I love six. Looking- Go ahead. And, and I'm also and I'm also looking at Vernon Carey Jr. out of uh, Duke. But Jalen Smith is very intriguing to me because he's the stretch. He's, the, he's like a stretch five. He can knock down the knock down the three pointer, but he also has a nice um, mid range game and face up game as well inside the post. And he's he could be a big time steal for me. But Vernon Carey Jr. is interesting to me because he has he has some skills on the block as well, but I don't see him being as much of a consistent stretch big stretch five as Jalen Smith would be. Talk to me about those two players and where where they could fall. Yeah, I think when you look at a guy like Jalen Smith, I mean, he he was a sophomore at Maryland. And it's funny, I was talking to a scout who was going to see him early early on in the season. And I said, oh, how'd Sticks look? Because Sticks is his nickname in high school because he was so skinny. He was so (laughs) skinny. And this one particular scout said, well, Sticks ain't a stick anymore. He's he's spelled out. He's 225. He looks so much stronger. And he also, he extended his game past the three-point line. Like, the pick mm-hmm. and pop was incredible. I want to say the game against Indiana, he had four threes. He went four for five from three, which we didn't, we never saw that in high school. Like, he was always banging in the post and trying to keep up with the guys like Zion and everyone else in his draft class. So, I think he did enough in this one, in his two years at, at Maryland, especially when you see how much better he got between his freshman and sophomore year and how serious about his body he got to to make him a first round draft pick, you know, late first round. And in terms of Vernon Carey, I mean, we already talked about his weight loss and, you know, there's no denying what he did for Duke this year. There were question marks with him coming in and how he'd fit under Coach K's system. And he mm-hmm. flourished. I mean, he was named ACC Player of the Year and also new, Newcomer of the Year. He averaged a double-double with 18 points and almost nine rebounds per game. And like, like I said, he's improved his body. And again, it's just another tall tale sign showing scouts and teams, I'm taking this seriously. I'm not here just to collect a paycheck or anything. Like, I want to be a productive pro. And so, yeah, he's another player either end of first round, early second round. Okay, gotcha. Interesting. I'm going to put you on the spot here. I'm, I'm kind of looking ahead to next year's draft. Um, is this quite accurate? I'm looking at Jalen Green. I'm looking at Jalen Suggs uh, from Gonzaga, highly recruited. I'm looking at Luca Garza, big man out of Iowa. I mm-hmm. think he may be in consensus for National Player of the Year this year. Um, Cade Cunningham. Am I quite accurate with, with that list thus far? Not in that order. No, <laughs> not yes, in that order. Yeah, <laughs> Yes, no, those are all play- – next year's draft is going to be one of the talented, talented and deepest drafts than we've seen in recent memory. There is a lot of star potential star players at the top and a lot of value, I would say, in the late first round. You know, when you look at a guy like Josh Christopher, who's the best player to come to Arizona State since James Harden, and James Harden even gave him his blessing and said, you can wear my number this year – you know, but when you look at the these mock drafts coming out, and I'll have to do one for Thursday, the day after the draft, but he's like late lottery 20s 
type of guy. So that just kind of shows you just how much talent is in this class. And when you look at a guy like Luca, it's like, yes, he could be national player of the year, but he's also also going to be a four year big. Right. So where mm-hmm. do you put that value Correct. in in a draft class of a lot of talented, long, fast, athletic yeah. guards? Yeah, I know good friends. You, uh-huh. You're very good friends with Kate and uh, Jalen. I saw the the clip yes. where you guys were interviewing each other, and then they come and they try to like eavesdrop and make funny videos about that. Talk to them about talk to us about that because it seems like you have great rapport and personality with these guys, and most people don't know as a journalist. Like personality is a big thing because it gravitates with some of these athletes as well. I mean, every time that I meet these players for the first time, I always want to make them feel comfortable. And I want them and their parents to know that I'm here to make them look as good as possible. I'm here to be their champion. You know, I want the same goals for them as they want for themselves. So I'm never going to ask any questions that are going to trick them in any way or make them look bad or or just get a soundbite or a headline. Do you know what I mean? And so I think that comes through with the different interviews I do from the time that they're sophomores. So they're comfortable with me. So by the time they're seniors and it's their last year, they don't, they want to like cut in on each other's interviews and, and, you know, get in on the fun or whatever, but, and I hope to continue it like down the road when they're NBA players. Like I saw Michael Porter Jr. This past year and that was a kid i've known since he's 15 when he had braces and so i went to denver <laughs> set up set up my camera we we sat down in the chairs and he's like whoa this is like deja vu kp and i'm like i know my job is still the same you are now <laughs> like an up-and-coming nba all-star like it's cool it's cool just let's have a conversation <laughs> awesome awesome all right well this has been fun and this has been great i think when we come back mike we're probably going to do our our game right yeah, yeah let's do probably it. a game that you're very familiar with kp it's getting into the personal life of yourself and outside of the hardware the Sebi podcast radio show live inside studio z All right, and KP is back with us here on the Sebi Podcast Radio Show, streaming live in 15 different platforms. It's our favorite time. We love to do this with all of our guests to kind of get into the, uh, kind of get a feel for them outside of their occupation. Um, These questions are very simple. It's this or that scenario-like questions, and we're going to start. I reside here in sunny Orlando, Florida, but I know right now you're in Utah. Is that right? That is correct. Yes. So given the circumstances and the weather, would you rather be here or would you rather be over there? No, there for sure. I spent, you know, about 10 years in Los Angeles. This is the first winter I've had. And I'm like, what was I thinking? (laughs) Freezing. But the, the extended time that I've had with my nieces and nephews and my brother and his wife have been, it's been awesome. 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 That's been great. Now, um, I know that you're um, a homeowner now. Congrats to you on that. Thank you. That's that's great. Um, So now here's a question. Would you rather have your dream home that you have already on top of a hill or would you rather have it beachside and somewhere tropical? Beachside all day, every day, 
for sure. I mean, I love the beach. I love being in the water. Um, it's kind of tugging at my heartstrings right now. I'm trying to find an excuse to get back out to Los Angeles, but <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely more of a beach girl for sure. Gotcha. Awesome. If you could be a student under any head coach in college basketball right now and just intern, who would it be? Ooh, I got, I have to say coach K I have to, I mean, that's a guy like, let me, let me tell you a story about coach K. So I uh, learned very early on that when you're dealing with the top, top college coaches, like I can't just walk up to them and be like, Hey, I talked to this kid. He said Duke was his dream school. You know, they don't, they don't care. And so you, you just, you get to know the assistant coaches, right? So I got to know John Shire and Nolan Smith and Jeff Capel when he was there just now at Pitt. Pitt. But um, then if they're sitting with them at an AAU event, they'll be like, coach, this is, this is Kristen Peach, shortsorrells.com. And I'll usually just get a wave, wave. And then three years, finally, it took Coach K to be like, hey, Kristen, how's your summer going? And I'm like, looking behind me, like, he knows my name now, finally. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's great. But yeah, like he's the goat. I would I would love to learn from him for sure. Interesting. I thought you were going to go somewhere in the West Coast, like uh, somebody else in the West Coast. That's interesting. <laughs> um, if you can have dinner with any five people, now these can be celebrities, these can be actors, actresses, um, athletes, anybody, who would those five people be at the table? All right. Hakeem Olajuwon, my favorite basketball player of all time. Wow. Interesting. Kevin Durant, uh, my favorite current basketball player. Don't hate. I know there's a lot of haters out there. Oh, no, I like KD. (laughs) Um, Jay-Z, my favorite artist. And Obama, because it's Obama. Mm -hmm. Um, And then fifth, I don't know. uh, I guess I'd throw in... Uh, I'm trying to think of like an actor. I guess I, I'd tell Jay, I'd tell Jay, just bring Beyonce. That's that. Those would be, that would be my five. Oh, you <laughs> can't go wrong with Queen B at all. That's, that's an interesting list. So Hakeem, Jay, Queen B, um, KD, and Obama. And Obama. Oh yeah. That'd be a great discussion. Gosh, <laughs> you got to invite me to that table. All right. Yeah. <laughs> you're invited. Awesome. Awesome. All right. And our last question here for you before we let you go. If you could coach any current basketball player now, who would it be? I Oh, man. I mean, I guess LeBron, because he kind of coaches himself, right? So right. <laughs> he just make, he makes my job easy because he makes me look good, right? Like, yeah. I I couldn't tell you one like in-game decision that the Lakers coach made in the bubble where I was like, wow, that was a really great call. It was all pretty much LeBron and AD running the show. And you know what's crazy? It's like LeBron is the second coach, but in a weird way, Rondo's the third coach too, you know? Rondo, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so like it, it was interesting to me why how, you know, cuz what Miami does is they stick to their identity. And they stick to the zone, but they don't know that Rondo, AD, and LeBron are like a zone won't work against them. So the they they are the ultimate zone busters because of their high intellect and their IQ is just you know cerebral. So and they just kept on doing it. So it's it just had me thinking like wow, it it would be a luxury to just have these guys as extra coaches on the court. It's interesting. 
yeah no for sure awesome awesome that wraps it up here um with our edition here with uh Kristen peak um if you guys want to continue to connect with Kristen, the description box to follow her and stay connected with all of her content uh from the high school level um collegiate level um that will be on the description box below it's always a great pleasure to have you on kp thank you for having me anytime really appreciate it And that was a great episode there that we had there, Mike. Arguably one of, potentially one of our best guests that we have thus far. Dissecting the entire draft, Mike. Even giving us some insights about some of these guys that, you know, we didn't know had any draft stock. So KP, one of the, one of my dear friends. Yeah, no doubt, man. She she had great energy. Uh, she really knows what she's talking about, and um, it was great. It was great hearing her dissect. Cause she put me on game to a lot of players I wasn't too familiar with. So um, hats off to Christian. She did a wonderful job, and, you know, good luck to her in the future. Absolutely there, for sure. A lot of headaches right now. Getting ready uh, 48 hours away uh, from this NBA draft um, there. So I'm pretty sure she's got her stuff um, there. This brings us to our third and final segment, Mike. We have to get to recapping week 10 of the NFL. Some of our biggest winners will start off with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a bounce-back performance from them, Mike. That's, that's pretty much uh, enough said, Mike. They really put it on the Panthers. It's sad to say that the Panthers was the next team on the schedule. It's sad to say you were Brady's victim, but uh, um, from the performance that they had in week nine at home against New Orleans, you just knew, Mike, that Brady and his bunch were going to be able to come back and dominate three, over 300 yards. Touchdowns to three different receivers. Ronald Jones, 98-yard scamper, highlighted by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' big day, and they put up 46 in Charlotte. Yeah, yeah, that was a great bounce-back performance. And um, in that second half, they just couldn't be stopped offensively. After that 98-yard touchdown, I believe they scored on almost every every drive for the remainder of the game. They, every time Carolina – uh, had a mini answer and tried to make it a game. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers said, "No, it's enough of this. We're gonna keep going." But I did notice um, some take some takeaways I had from this game was that this Tampa Bay defense doesn't look as dominant as it did midway uh, the last few games. And uh, you're starting to see some holes in this defense. You're starting to see uh, teams exploit some of the, the secondary, some of the the, yeah. cover, the linebacker coverages and things of that nature. So that's something to look forward to. Um, that's, that's something to look at moving forward. But at the same time, this was a big-time bounce-back victory and a great performance from Tom Brady. I, I will give him that. That's Because of the circumstances and because of the magnitude, this may have been his best game as, as a buck as a buck this year. Yeah, it was. The Tampa Bay Bucks are now 7-3. and three. I agree, Mike. Um, The front seven, I have no question marks about it. Elite. I mean, you have yeah. some guys up front that can get after the quarterback, and then they may have the best two tandem in the NFL as in terms of – um, sidelines to sideline linebackers with Devon White and Levante Davis. But that back end is really young, really young. Yep. So um, I agree with you um, there on on that. Talk to us about this Miami Dolphins team. This is the third straight week, Mike, that we talk about them, the battle of rookies, Justin Herbert and also Tua Tagovailoa. These two teams could have been flipped. They were right, fifth and sixth, 
right now franchises are asking did we choose the right guy moving on forward for a decade year to come yeah. but um to attack Valoa and his team actually has a team and not just a quarterback and so that was the difference here but some will tell you this Chargers team like at 2 and 7 maybe arguably maybe the best 2 and 7 team in NFL history they've lost 5 yeah. games this year Mike by one point or less yes yeah, yeah, they they have, and um, when I, it, coming into this game, you know, all the talk was about uh, Tua versus Justin and these young quarterbacks dueling out with each other. But whenever you have a situation where they're, they're you know, all in the media is hyped about the the quarterback play going against each other, you have to look at the rest of the team and what what they bring to the table and the others around them. That's going to give them the best chance to win. And when you look at both teams right now, I would have to say that Miami has the most around Tua that gives them the best chance to win. And you saw that. On Sunday, I mean, defensively, this Miami team, I think we need to start recognizing how, how good they really are. They can be a very great – they can be a great defense, and they're starting to shape into that form of a, of a dominant defensive team. And, you know, they, they stifled uh, uh, Justin. They, they, he, he didn't really have many, many options to go after, and they put pressure on him. You know, in the, second, in the secondary, they, 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 they were dominant. Xavier Howard, once again, showed why he can be a top corner in this league. He was all over. Uh, Williams and all over Keenan Allen getting interceptions. Uh, this this defense is nice, and you know Tua Tua doesn't really have to do much. He doesn't have to be uh, throw for 350, 400 yards a game and four or five touchdowns. As long as he can manage the game and make those splash plays whenever need be, this is gonna that's gonna take that's gonna take this team over the top. Along with not turning the ball over. You know this this like you said this San Diego team is a special team. But my, but is, and it's up and coming, and it's young, and they're still learning how to win. They're still figuring things out on their end. But at the same time, this Miami team, this Miami team is is poised, and they they they've won five straight games now. And you saw it. You you saw how poised they looked on both sides of the ball, and they were more ready for this game, and that's why they won this game. It, yes, they got the late touchdown, but really they won by double digits. If you ask me, it was a. It was it was it was a great performance from Miami, and they continue to show why they're one of the up, up and coming teams in this league. This reminds me of Russell Wilson, his first and second years in the league, rookie year and second year, where the Legion of Boom was the focal point of the team. Uh, Pete Carroll's a defensive minded guy, and so is Brian Flores. And um, this is what you're seeing. You just need Russell Wilson to be a game manager from now as you progress and get mm-hmm. him going. And Miami, Mike number one in scoring defense led by their two star shutdown corners, Xavier and Iron, uh, Howard, excuse me, and Byron Jones. Yes. And Miami are really, really, really up front. Not only half a game back of Buffalo, who lost at seven and three. And that's where we go next. What an egg and what a performance. I mean, <laughs> is is there more superlatives for us to talk about when we talk about, uh, you know, the greatness of Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins? These guys are un believable mike so um <laughs> two seconds left a hail mary a prayer over three guys that literally right there gave me megatron megatron vibes okay. and the cards could have went five and four now they look up the standings they're six and three and look mike in the hardest division in football they are leading the nfc west yes yes they are and and <laughs> Sebi, I talked about it a couple of weeks ago with this Arizona team, man. This Arizona team, the only people that can stop them is themselves. And the only way they can really be stopped is them not realizing their greatness and how good they really can be. Because 
when you watch this team offensively, I don't care what defense, because Buffalo has a great defense. I came into this game saying Arizona's defense is going to have to show up because I don't know offensively if Arizona I don't know offensively if Arizona is going to be as potent or as lethal as they would have been and have been in recent memory. But uh, in the first half, that's how it looked. But in that second, that third quarter, I mean, they finally started to convert field goals to touchdowns, and um, they, they turned this game around. And like you said, Stephon Diggs, that dive and great catch he had in the end zone with 32 seconds left, he thought the game was over. He thought he had, he had sealed the deal. But then, like you said, that that – for Kyler Murray to get out of the pocket, to alleviate those defenders, and to throw, running run to the left side, throw across his body like that, and um, and put it on point for DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, D-Hop made it look 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 easy. He made it look recreational. You know, the, we're just going over those three guys. You should have heard me in the car watching, that, watching that, uh, that, that particular play on my phone. I was going crazy. I couldn't believe what I just saw. And uh, that was a huge win, like you said, because, like, not only do they lead a division, but they have a big-time matchup in a couple of days against Seattle on Thursday night football that, that that's going to um, that's gonna shape as well. So them winning that game um, uh, makes makes this this game that much that much bigger, and it, it puts less pressure on their backs as well. So this was a huge win for Arizona, a tough loss for Buffalo, but uh, but as good as well as they played, they'll bounce back for this for sure. But this was this was a huge huge win for Arizona. I think it showed another confidence booster to show how lethal their offense can be. Yeah, and I agree, Mike. I mean, uh, you look at right now for Arizona, and right now you, you have to put Kyler Murray back in the in MVP conversations as well for what he's done right now. And uh, even DeAndre Hawkins talked about it late. He said that, you know, this is just like playing basketball, you know. You pat your head, you say that he got dunked on. Well, they got mossed. That's, that, that's what we call it. That's what we call it. When we're right. growing up, you see you do something like that, you you start getting, you know what I'm saying? You start getting tr- uh, 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 roasted on in our days. That's what that's what we call that. But right. that was just an unbelievable play by arguably maybe one of the best wideouts that we've ever seen. Even Larry Fitzgerald, as great <laughs> as he is, had to lament how great DeAndre Hopkins is. And in his prime, unbelievable, man. Unbelievable uh, stuff that they have done. It's it's actually insane, and 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 now they've got a matchup, Mike, in in a couple of days in Seattle in the Pacific Northwest. If Arizona wins, they would have won the season meeting. They already won earlier this year, and um, we'll see what happens. Russell Wilson hasn't looked himself, Mike. I've noticed this when Russell Wilson one turnover or no turnovers at all. Seattle six and zero. If when he throws a lot of turnovers. He's 0-3, and with a team that has a bad defense already, you can't afford to start giving the ball to the other team. And that's what's been hurting Seattle, especially what happened in Los Angeles when they played the Rams. I mean, Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey in that back end, they really, really stymied that offense. But I got some issues here, Mike. Two catches, four targets for DK Metcalf, that's not going to get it done. No, it's it's definitely not, and I, I, I'm not gonna lie to you, Seppi. Jalen Ramsey had a lot to do with that. That brother was following him all over the field. I mean, he 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 made sure that wherever DK Metcalf was, he was there. He almost was in the huddle on timeouts, uh, messing with DK Metcalf. I mean, this this guy Jalen Ramsey is the real deal, man. And and when you have games like this, you it shows you why he's one of the top corners in this league. But not only him, this defense is one of the best defenses in this league, and um. You saw how 
when you double or try to triple team Aaron Donald, the depth of this defensive line with Leonard Floyd and you know guys like that, they find a way to make plays and they get in the they get in that backfield and they, and, and and that's exactly what they did at home. This team was undefeated and defensively they give up thirteen points a game. Uh, the dudes, the Los Angeles Rams. So this was a a performance that we've seen from them on their home turf all season. They it just came against um you know. A, a very prominent offensive team, and and now you're starting to see how 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 good this Rams defense really can be, you know, on, on, on any given basis because um they 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 stifled this team and they they showed that when you take DK Metcalf out of the game, Russell Wilson has the doesn't have the 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 plethora of weapons and the plethora of options to go to to uh, to really to really um put up big time points because Seattle came into this game with with the highest scoring offense, Sebi. Thirty-four points a game, yeah, uh, in that in that area, and it didn't look nothing like that. And they got to continue to outscoring their opponents, Mike. They, they have to because that defense, that defense for Seattle, although they didn't play as bad yesterday, they're one of the worst in football this year, and historically, they're one of the worst in NFL history. So, the, offensively, they know they have to put up points, and yesterday they couldn't do it. So, um, it's going to be interesting to see what they do on on Thursday against Arizona. But this was not their best efforts on both sides of the ball. Um, this and I, and Sebi, real quick, I want to say something about Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams uh, didn't look himself in, in certain situations. Um, uh, that Alex Brown touchdown, we saw him whiff a, t- a tackle. I don't know if, if if that's not the Jamal Adams we're used to seeing. I don't know if it's something going on with him, but um, the, uh, Jamal Adams did not look himself in this game, and he didn't. He hasn't looked himself the last couple games. And Mike, we talk about that defense. The defense wasn't the issue yesterday. Twenty-three points. That's not bad. I mean, Russell Wilson. 23 points the defense gives you, I I, I will take that. Um, it's up yeah. to him. So those turnovers, again, uh, with a team that is already a liability on defense, you cannot afford to start giving the ball over to the opponent's team because teams like the Rams and some of these great NFC teams, Green Bay, Buck, uh, Tampa Bay, they're in New Orleans, they're going to capitalize and score touchdowns on those. And so that's exactly what the Rams um, have done. But yesterday wasn't the defense, Mike. It, it was on Russell Wilson, but – um, the guy I, I know that Russell Wilson is, he will bounce back and, and he knows that, that they blew an opportunity. So I expect them to, to come out on Thursday night and, and to um, be able to uh, at least play a complete game, a 60-minute football game. And we'll see what the result is against the Arizona Cardinals, their rivals out there in the Pacific Northwest. Don't count out the Rams, Mike. They're sneaky at 6-3 and three too. So oh, yeah. we'll, we'll see uh, where it goes <clears throat> from there a lot of big news a lot of great games that we saw mike just a tons of them the patriots um mm-hmm. i love what they did the game plan they kept the greatness of lamar jackson inside of the pocket limit him to a couple rushes you're not gonna stop him but you can only hope to contain him which they did and um defensively i love what they did mike um they only sent three and they kept eight in coverage right that's what you do because, you know, Lamar isn't the best thrower yet. Unlike Kyler Murray, you know, Kyler can fit those balls into tight windows. He can uh, throw the ball outside the numbers. He can throw it deep. So I love Belichick's scheme where he rushed three and he put eight in coverage. That gave, obviously, Lamar all time to throw and run around. But he wasn't his Lamar Jackson magic that he was. I thought it was a great game plan. And then offensively, Cam Newton got back to – Playing football, he got happy again. Running the ball, running for touchdowns. They called for uh, some draw plays for him, and the run game 
with Damian Harris, the other guy from Alabama that doesn't get talked about. 121 yards on the ground. I thought the Patriots did what they needed to do to, to win an ugly game. The Patriots out-physical the Ravens, and that's something I thought I would never hear hear about from a Baltimore, a Baltimore team because we know how lethal they are uh, on the defensive line. But front seven-wise, but just the mystique of this team, you don't you don't hear too about too many situations about the Baltimore Ravens being out-physical by anybody, but that's exactly what you saw against the Patriots. The Patriots were the more physical team from jump. They ran the football early and often. They knew it was going to be an ugly weather game. They knew the weather was going to play a part in this game, so they played. They didn't play around. They said, we're going to run straight at you. It wasn't no outside runs. It wasn't uh, no no misdirections. It was straight up straight up the middle. Your mano in mano, a hat on a hat. And that offensive line won them this football game. Damian Harris was able to make, was able to get down the field and make plays and, have, and found the holes in the defense. And it, it was too much for them. Can't, that formula, people don't, don't even realize, that formula that you saw them beat the Baltimore Ravens last, last uh, Sunday, that's the same formula that, that they won a Super Bowl with two years ago in Tom Brady's last Super Bowl against the Rams. That year, Tom Brady did not have his greatest year at the quarterback position. However, they were one of the best running teams in the league. Their offensive line was elite, and they had a, a solid enough defense to where they made plays. But that, but that running game and them controlling the clock and controlling the tempo of the game is what helps the defense look even better than what they actually are. So that formula has worked for Bill Belichick and the Patriots in the past, and we see a situation now where they can work for them with Cam Newton this year. And, and, and what I'm looking at is, based on their schedule, especially the next few games, don't count this Patriots team out, man. This New England Patriots team is, is uh, very formidable. Uh, we've seen them get off the slow stops before and pick it up in the season and get adjust. This year it took a little bit, of long, a little bit longer because of COVID. But this Patriots team can definitely sneak into the playoffs uh, based on that formula and how they were playing. Uh, they're only going to get better. They're only going to play uh, tougher teams in New England. In, it's going to get in that weather. And they have the advantage when they're at home. We know how good they are when they're in New England. So this Patriots team is special. We saw that against Baltimore. And um, I'm looking forward to see how they finish the season because I see this team potentially going to the playoffs and winning six of the last seven games. Wow, that's interesting, Mike. And you do make a good point. Um, inclement weather. We know New England thrives in that. No team is better at that. They want you to come to Foxborough. Um, they want you to do what, you know, they had Tom Brady to do that. But they might not get one of those top three seeds. Um, that was another reason why they had that great home field advantage. You'd have to come to, uh, to, to Foxborough in January in the cold right. and rain and inclement weather and be able to play their type of football in their home stadium. So that's interesting there. But you're right, Mike. We've known this for two decades. You can never count a Bill Belichick team out um, oh, yeah. in, in you know, November and December. So that's things to come. The Patriots are four and five as it stands. Another team that caught my eye, Mike. I'm not even going to lie. The Minnesota Vikings, winners of three in a row. They started one and five. All of a sudden, they're four and five. And the Chicago is derailing. Now Chicago's five and five. They're only half a game back of uh, their spot um, looking for Green Bay. Dalvin Cook right now is on a mission. The last guy to win MVP, Mike, as a running back was Adrian Peterson. And Mike, yes. what team did he play for? Yes. He, oh, he, just that, yeah, yeah. Just that team in Minnesota. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm starting to get that feeling, Mike, that Dalvin <laughs> Cook is on a mission to ensure that this team gets a playoff spot. Now, yesterday, 96 yards on the ground, not his stellar performance, but Kirk Cousins, he he showed me some guts, Mike. The guy was 0-9 in Monday football, finally got his first win on Monday Night Football, 
and Thielen. I mean, is there a better guy in the NFL that wins it off of off his route and off of release? I mean, the guy is just ridiculous. He was killing Buster Scrine all night long. And so Minnesota goes into Chicago and wins. This is the first win in Chicago in Kirk Cousins' career. And you saw the yes. emotions, Mike, the emotions. You're telling his coach, how do you like that? You saw that, Kirk Cousins, last <laughs> night. And so <laughs> we'll see what happens in the postseason. But you saw that right. last night. So Minnesota's impressed me. Winners of three in a row. Uh, they're trying to make a late postseason uh, you know, run right now at four and five. Not only not not only what not only was that his first win at Chicago, if I'm not mistaken, Sebi, that was his first win on Monday Night Football in his career. If I'm not mistaken, yes, that's correct. Uh, it was it was a, it was a huge. You saw and you saw the emotion come out of him on that last that last drive. And uh, you're right, man. Dalvin Cook, what he's doing this year, uh, he's he's um he he he's, he's carried the load for this team. And usually, when he dominates, they win because he has to dominate and he has to be the focal point. And that way, Kirk Cousins can play off him and utilize that play action. And that's when it's bombs, it's bombs away for this team, and they can be a lethal bunch. But yesterday, you saw the Chicago Bears defense do what they usually do, which is stop the run. And it was on Kirk Cousins to win that game. And in the second half, when they were down and they needed points and they needed that touchdown to Adam Thielen, they got it. And and um, he and he and he he was one of the main orchestrators for winning that game. So you know. That 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 added to the emotion as well was the fact that he was the one that um that produced and he made it happen when he needed to. But uh, you're right, this Minnesota team, this is another sneaky team at four and five that's won three straight games. And you have to I guess um hey Sebi, I'm gonna say this about Chicago. I guess Pat I guess Pat was right when we had him on the show and he said this is a five and a five and one or five and one team that could easily be one and five because they haven't won a game ever since. And uh, this Chicago Bears team, I, I feel bad for their defense because their defense goes out and plays hard night in and night out. But their offense is so atrocious. Their offense is so bad to watch, so so uh, terribly um, designed that um, that they don't give their defense no type of type of type of breaks or um, or credentials. So the, the, this Chicago Bears team needs to figure things out. Um, I feel bad for Nick Foles getting hurt on that last drive, but at the same time, this all this offense for the Bears is inept. They are dysfunctional, and it's, it's, it's terrible because they have pieces. They have weapons to work with. So you're looking from the standpoint of how, how, how much longer can you blame the players, and you have to start looking at the coaching staff and schematically not coming up with plays to get these guys um, getting creative with the offensive play calling. And um, the, this, this offense from Chicago is bad, and they're not helping the defense. But Minnesota put themselves right back in the driver's seat with this big <laughs> divisional win. They won three straight. They're four and five. I'm interested to see how they finish off the season and they could potentially sneak into the playoffs as well. I agree. I agree. There's Mike. Now Chicago's got problems too. Nick Foles went down with 33 seconds left last night's game and carted off the field. So now it does Mitch Trubisky come back in the lineup or Mike Gray, Mike Bray, excuse me. So they've got problems now. You think their offense is anemic now. <laughs> Who's going to play quarterback? Man. That's that's going to be Man. interesting there. They've got a lot of issues on offense. You wouldn't even think that. A Matt Nagy team. Great offensive mind. Exactly. They, they, they'd have issues uh, trying to be uh, good on offense. Um, speaking of probably being headline on offense, New Orleans. It's been rumored that Drew Brees has got um, something in his lungs and fractured ribs at 41 years old. And that's actually very alarming, Mike. You're 41. You're having fractured ribs. So now does Jameis get the start or do they go with Taysom Hill? So we know New Orleans, they're clicking on all cylinders and all three levels too. special teams, offense and defense. But 
now without life without Drew Brees. So how do they manage now knowing that Tampa Bay, although they've lost the season meetings between those two games, but they're still on their tail. So uh, life without Drew Brees, Mike, I think something we need to monitor. Yeah, it is something we need to monitor. But at the same time, Sebi, the best thing about this Saints uh, situation they're in right now is that they've been there before. They were here in the same situation last year, and Teddy Bridgewater came in and didn't lose a football game. So they've they've been in a situation where Drew Brees has been hampered out, and uh, they had to substitute another uh, backup quarterback in, who's really a starting quarterback. So and, and you go from Teddy Bridgewater to now Jameis Winston. I do feel like Jameis Winston should get to start for a few games uh, as long as Drew Brees is out. Uh, Taysom Hill, I love him as a specialties guy, but as be, to being your outright quarterback, I don't feel like he's there yet. I don't feel like he he's 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 ready for that moment the way Jameis is because Jameis is fresh off become off being a starting quarterback in the NFL. He's fresh off uh, mentally learning this system, and I like what I saw from him in limited reps. Uh, against um, the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday. Uh, I, I would love to see him, you know, this weekend, this week coming up with uh, time to get uh, practice and reps with the ones, uh, a full week of practice with them and seeing what he what he puts on, on the field next week. But um, uh, Jameis is in a situation where, because like you said, they're so uh, fundamentally sound on all three levels, he doesn't have to do much. He doesn't have to put up big-time numbers. He, at the end of the day, he knows who to get the ball to on this team, Alvin Kamara. Get the ball to Alvin Kamara. You still have to have Michael Thomas come back, came back for this team. So you have the weapons there. You just have to make sure that you don't turn the ball over. You manage the game and everything else will fall in place because this is a fundamentally sound team. This is a team that has depth. This is a team that has um a, a will to win and an understanding of how to win in, di- in different situations. They've been here before. I expect them to, I don't expect them to go undefeated again. But I do expect them to be a very, a, still a very formidable team, and to 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 knock some more wins under the belt and keep Tampa Bay at um, uh, um at bay. At, at bay. Hey, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> definitely there. Great insights there, um, as well. I agree too. I think Sean Payton's probably going to simplify the game, hand it off, and try to get you know Alvin Kamara. Uh, in space and maybe get the ball out quick to Michael Thomas, let him do some damage um, after yards after the catch. So I think that's going to be the formula there um, if Drew Brees can't go uh, from there. So from the pro game to um, not under that, the collegiate game, um, Mike, Kyle Trask, what he's doing right now with Florida, I mean, unbelievable. He's surpassed his own uh, six games, four TDs. Right now, leading the Heisman campaign to me, um, Florida, you know, if there's a team this year that could beat Alabama, I'd be wary, man. I'd tell them to watch out, Mike. Yeah, yeah, I can, yeah, um, I I can hear it. Yeah, no, you're you're not lying about, you're not lying about (laughs) Kyle Trash. I saw his potential last year, but I had no idea that he was going to blossom into what he's he's becoming this year. Uh, in a span of in a span of 365 days, I mean, this guy right here, he's special. And the the performance against Arkansas just just showed how lethal he is. He's uh, he's in the Heisman conversation <laughs> this year. What he's doing with the weapons around him, I mean, it's, it's it's just it's fun to watch, man. This Florida team is fun to watch. He's got them back in that conversation of, of potential uh, uh, championship contenders, and uh, they go as far as he goes. He he can take them all the way with the, the performances that he's. He's putting up, and this Florida team on both sides of the ball looks very dangerous because they have some players on the the other side as well. Uh, that that kid Elam, uh, he he's a, he's a he's a great safety out out there. Uh, his we all know about his 
his brother, his older brother that went to to Florida back in the day and played for those teams. So they they have some players on, on this team, man. And this Florida team is is going to be a force to be reckoned with um, uh, to finish out the rest of the season. Agreed, agreed, agreed there. Uh, to an article that you wrote as well, Sam Howell and UNC, what a performance they put on, man. Down big in double digits. They find a way to come back um, late there in their uh, contest. Talk to us about that, Mike. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Sam Howell and UNC. UNC has been a, 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 a second-half, third-quarter, fourth-quarter team, man, they, you know, with these deficits that they, that they find themselves into uh, against, 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 against certain teams in, in the conference. You know they were down forty-five to twenty-four in this game in the th- in the third quarter, and you were looking at yourself like, man, this game might be over because UNC's defense can't stop them, and and, UN- and offensively they 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 they've stifled a bit from that first quarter, but um, they came back in that in that third quarter they they, they put up thirty-five points to close out the game, and, and Sam Howell ran in the game winning touchdown. He finished the game with five hundred and fifty yards and six touchdowns. But Sebi, here's uh, another historic uh, stack college football wise. In that first quarter, he put up 232 yards passing. That's the most in um in in, in school history. So um they, they, that that was a special accomplishment. And if I'm not mistaken, that might be the most in in uh in um NCAA history, if I'm not mistaken. But um Sam Howe had a great performance. He's um that 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 was one of those performances that you expected from him because of the magnitude of that game and what was needed at the time. And uh, he's one of those guys, man, who the only thing he's missing on his college res- resume is that big time win against a top opponent. You know, last year he almost had it against Clemson. You remember that game, Sebby, where they had a chance to beat the Clemson and they lost by one point. Yes, I remember. But, but they, yep. played good enough, they played good enough to win that <laughs> ball game. Sam Howe, uh, this year, he has an opportunity against Notre Dame in a couple weeks to, to, get, to get that victory. He has an opportunity uh, against potentially Miami uh, this year, potentially – you know, who, who who knows about the ACC champion. But um, that's the only thing he's missing on, on top on his career because he's lethal. He can pass the ball. He can run the ball. He's a special talent. And UNC, UNC is a team on the rise. They're, they're, they're an up-and-coming team. And uh, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how they finish the season as well because Sam Howe, if he continues to perform like this, he can put himself in the Heisman conversation. Yep, agreed, agreed there. Um, we'll see how UNC continues to climb uh, on the – uh, AP pulled that loss to Florida State, though. That that looks kind of kind of lacking to them uh, there yeah. as well. Notre Dame was the only team in the top five this week, Mike, that played. Um, Clemson was idle. Uh, Alabama obviously was idle because of the uh, postponed of LSU. Um, and also, we didn't see Ohio State. So this week, we won't see some of these marquee games as well. But this week's Mike marquee matchup, presides in Norman, Oklahoma, an in-state rivalry. Oklahoma State, Mike Gundy's team, he may have one of the best running backs in the country. Maybe Travis Etienne or Najee Harris may have something to say about that. But Chuba Hubbard and Oklahoma State invades Oklahoma in Lincoln Riley's team. Now with Spencer Rattler. One thing we know about Lincoln Riley, Mike, you can date back from Baker Mayfield to Kyler Murray to Jalen Hurts. He get these quarterbacks and he make them look very good. In fact, Heisman Trophy good. So now we've got Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, the marquee matchup of this weekend, Mike. And that may have Big 12 implications and we'll see what happens if they get in the college football playoffs. 
Yeah, now this this is a huge game for for both sides because both teams want to finally prove themselves. Oklahoma State is tired of losing to Oklahoma uh, in recent memory, so they 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 know that this is one of the best opportunities they finally get them. And uh, not only that, Spencer Rattler, uh, he he knows that you know he he would like to get this win under his belt because of how you know uh, early on in the season he had some losses to some some some, some inferior opponents. So this is a this game has a lot of implications to it, like you said, for the conference. But also uh, moving forward and uh, uh, bowl game wise, but um, I- I'm intrigued to see this matchup as well because it's two high-powered offenses and it's usually a shootout between these two teams. And um, I-, I mean, I'm just, I'm just, re- I'm ready for the show. And uh, hats off to both teams. It's gonna be, a- it's gonna be an epic performance. Yep, S- Saturday night in Norman, Oklahoma, in front of their Sooner fans. It's gonna be exciting. And I agree with you, Mike. Spencer Rattler was the top-rated high school quarterback. Um, and obviously we figured he'd go to Oklahoma with the success Lincoln Riley has had with quarterbacks. Um, but they haven't been themselves. They lost to Kansas State and then yeah. they laid a couple yeah. of eggs and it's been like, uh, like, is Oklahoma back? Like, I mean, uh, what's what's it is going on? But um, you know, there's there's twelve games in a season. They got time to make amends for that. So that's gonna be a huge game for the Big Twelve and also for anybody in the committee to see if the Big Twelve can make um, a leap there, so that's that's one of the big marquee games. Absolutely, and keep in mind too, Sebi. You know, we we have to under, we have to understand maturation process work uh, matters as well because when you think about the last three quarterbacks that Oklahoma has had, when you think about Baker Mayfield, uh, Kyler Murray, uh, Jalen Hurts, none of these guys were freshmen when they became when they came to Oklahoma, along with Lincoln Riley, also you know having the great creative offensive game plans and the, the schemes and things like that. These guys were, were proven quarterbacks that have played the game already. You know, Spencer Rattler is a freshman. He's, he's somebody that he's real young. He's still polished. He's still learning. He's still learning the game on the fly. So it was it would be unfair for us to expect to see the same productivity that we saw from the last three quarterbacks with Spencer because it's still a maturation process that he has to go through on the collegiate level. Agreed, agreed there. That pretty much wraps up week Episode 15 of our show, Mike, and uh, any last remarks and last thoughts here before we wind down here today? Yeah, man, you know, I you know, I know, I know we didn't bring it up too much, but my Giants, you know, we got a big victory against somebody other than the Washington Reds, uh, excuse me, Washington football team this year. I was very impressed with how the Giants looked. We looked very well, very, very, uh, very good on all three, on, on all three phases of the game. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm just intrigued. I'm intrigued with some of these other college football matches up. And guess what, Sebi? Guess what next week is? College basketball. Ooh. Yes, indeed. Sir, <laughs> that time of the year is coming around the corner, and I can't wait for it. Yes, indeed, sir. And we have one of our most intriguing guests from the Big Ten that's coming and speaking to us in a few weeks. Uh, college basketball, we're gearing up nice. that as well, Mike. So um, some exciting stuff. And for myself and Mike, we say so long for you guys. Until next week, we'll be back here on air. Hey, everyone, we're excited just as much as you guys tonight if you enjoyed this show and, frankly, even some of our other episodes as well. If you want to show your appreciation for the show, ensure that you leave us a rating and a review in our iTunes and Spotify. And remember, you can stay locked in here and connected. SebiPodcast.info link for the latest news, articles, interviews, and much more. And remember, wherever you're listening on air or online, The Sebi Podcast is wherever you go.